Thank you, Haddon. And keep your Bibles open to Matthew 22, 34 through 40. And um, as I continue to study this passage, you'll, you'll notice in your bulletin there, there are three points. Uh, we're just going to look at point number one this morning. Um, the more I studied it, the more is there, and uh, I didn't figure you wanted to be here till 12.30, so I say we'll make this a two-parter. All right, Matthew 22, the two great commandments. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we do thank you with, with our hearts and with our souls and with our minds today that we are yours, that through Christ you have purchased us to yourself, reconciled us to yourself, adopted us into your family. Greater love has no man than this, Jesus said, than a man lay down his life. And then he called us as sinners Something very unexpected. Friends, your word tells us of the great love of of who you are. God is love and the great love that you have extended to us as undeserving, unworthy sinners. God commends his love, demonstrates his love, puts on display his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You are love, and there is no greater love than to be loved by God. And, and then you command us to love as we have been loved. And it really all comes down. The, the scriptures, you say that the law and the prophets, it's, it really all comes down to this, loving God and loving others. And so, Father, we would, as believers in our hearts, we would, we would give a hearty amen to that. But when we begin to examine our hearts, we might, instead of saying amen, we might say, oh my. We confess at times we allow other loves to creep in and to take place that should be reserved for you and you first and foremost and others beyond ourselves and so that's why we're thankful for this morning and for this passage and for your word that's alive and powerful and your spirit that's at work and when we gather as believers father and worship together that your your presence your you stir among us uh, building your church and fashioning us after the likeness of your son and and so we we are depending and relying and trusting in that work in our lives today and pray father that as we leave our gathering later today that we would leave with a greater and deeper love and affection for christ and for you and and for others 
that would, that would radically transform the way we view the world and the way we view life and the way we view ourselves and the way we act. That the love of God and the love of others would drive everything we do and, and everything that we are. And for that, we need a, your, your work, your grace in our lives. So we trust in it and depend upon it and pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today's passage is, is probably a familiar passage. You're, you're probably familiar with this question that was raised to Christ and his answer of what are the, what's the greatest commandment, and he went ahead and gave us the second greatest commandment as well. We've read these verses before. You've probably studied them before. The question is interesting, yet probably not uncommon in Jesus' day. It would have been maybe a, uh, a common thing. In rabbinic writings, they would often categorize the, the, the laws, the various laws in the Old Testament in terms of uh, essential and importance and which, which is number one, which is the greatest, and things like that. So it probably wasn't an unusual question or one that was, you know, not common to hear or think about. But what would be kind of interesting here is that it was posed to Christ as a test question. And that's interesting. So one of them, a, a lawyer... Uh, someone who would be uh, an expert in the Old Testament law, one of the Pharisees, posed this question, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? So he's, he's referring to the first five books of the Old Testament, known as the law, written by Moses. But he's, he's posed this question to Jesus to test him. And we know this is the, this is the pattern of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They continue to try to, to trap Jesus in saying something or doing something that, that they can either claim as treason or they can claim as blasphemous or they can discredit his ministry. Or they're, they're, they're trying their best in some way to do away with Christ, to do away with his popularity, to do away with his ministry. Eventually, we're already in the week of, of passion here, and uh, eventually they will seek to do away with his very life because they just can't trip him up. They just can't outwit God. They're not wiser than the Son of God, and so they give up on that tactic later. But while I don't, I, well, one of the interesting questions is asked is exactly how are they testing Jesus with this question? And I'm not really sure. Maybe there was a common answer and they were just seeing if if they could show that Jesus is not really well acquainted or if he's ill-equipped with with what is commonly accepted and known as the greatest commandment but what becomes very clear when Jesus answers the question is that this is actually not a test for him this is actually a test for the Pharisees and we will find I'm sure as we study this together this morning, that the answer that Christ gives becomes a test for us as well. So we're just going to kind of settle into this first question. What do these two commandments mean? And we'll, uh, we'll meditate together on these two commandments and, and then next week, Lord willing, we'll, we'll go even further. 
So Jesus says the the first and great commandment, no question about it, the first and greatest commandment of all is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. So he's, he's taking them to the law. That was the question. What's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says that without a doubt, clearly the greatest commandment in the first five books of written revelation, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In other words, the greatest way to honor and glorify God in this life is to love him with every aspect of our being, every every part of who we are. We can look at those three ways in which the law and, and Jesus characterizes our love for God. It is to be with all our heart. What, what does it mean to love God with all your heart? Now, it doesn't mean that we love God exclusively and that we don't love anyone else. Because that wouldn't go with the second commandment. That we are to love our neighbor as ourselves what it means is that we are to love God supremely that he that he is first and foremost in our affections that the love that we have for the Lord our creator our provider our savior runs so deep in our lives that that it actually is the foundation and, and the fundamental love of all the loves in our heart I picture the heart in this way like, like a well. And, and, and the further the bucket goes down in the water the, 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 is the deeper affections that we have in our hearts. We love a lot of things. We, we love a lot of people. We, we, we love, uh, there's, a, there's a simplistic category of love. We, we love certain things. We love certain foods. We love certain activities. We love certain athletics. We love certain programs. We won't mention any of those, but we we enjoy those things. We love those things. Those would be kind of in the... In the shallow end of our heart, of our affections, we, we, we love those things, but they're not the, or should not be, the, the, the deepest affections in our heart. But we, we also love people. So loving people, that should run a little deeper than, than things and activities and programs and things like that. We love friends, we love family, we love parents, children, grandchildren. And so we would find those affections a little bit deeper in the wells of our hearts. But down deep in the deepest part of our affections, as, as far as the bucket can sink down into our hearts, should be our love for God. A love that runs so deep that that, that love determines and defines and actually directs all of the lesser loves in our lives. That is loving the Lord your God with with all your heart. The love for God is the deepest affection in our hearts that actually directs and, and defines all the other loves that are present there. Assuming all the other loves are right and good and godly loves. 
And Jesus said it this way in Luke 14, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now we know what Jesus is saying there. He's not saying we are to despise those who are in our family. He's saying that the the love of Christ and the love of God should run so deep in our hearts that that those lesser loves pale into comparison. So this gives us a cause to to pause in our our lives and a a cause for self-examination before the Lord. If our children or our spouse or our best friend or our uh, boyfriend or girlfriend or fiancé or anyone is at the bottom of our affections, if any person is, is the one besides the Lord who is determining and defining and directing the, our relationship with all the other loves in our lives, if they are our greatest love, We are idolaters because we've replaced God with someone. And if we love someone more than we love God, we are actually actually loving them less than God intended for them to be loved. If we don't love God with all our heart, we'll never rightly love others. Because we've misplaced the affections of our heart where God created us and designed us to be. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your your deepest affection for the Lord. Now, what does it mean to love the Lord with all your soul? If loving the Lord with all of our heart is is our deepest affection of of heart that that guides and determines all other affections, I believe what this means is is that that everything else beyond the heart, everything else that that defines who we are beyond our, our physical description, beyond our physical bodies, in other words, what makes will, will, Besides his appearance, besides his lack of hair, besides his height, besides his weight, besides his accent, what makes Will Will besides anything that has to do with his physical appearance, his desires, his intentions, his personality, his disposition, his will, his volition? What is it that makes will, will? In other words, everything about me that makes me, me should be Godward and not directed to self. God created me to glorify him, not to glorify will. So I love the Lord with all my soul when everything about me is about him. And that's exactly how God designed it to be. So that I actually find my greatest fulfillment 
Not when the world is revolving around me and I'm getting everything that I want. But I actually, because I'm designed this way by creation, find my greatest fulfillment when everything is about the Lord and all glory and praise is directed to him through my life. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. In other words, the biggest obstacle for will to be in a saving relationship with Christ, the biggest obstacle is not the world, it's not them, it's not that, it's will. And if I can get past myself, if I can get beyond myself, if I can deny myself, then I can find the greatest treasure in the universe, the Son of God. As Lord and Savior of my life. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Loving the Lord with all of our heart, our deepest affection. Loving the Lord with all of our soul. What, what makes you, you? Our will, our personality, everything about us that's us. Directed to the Lord and his glory and honor. What does it mean to love the Lord with all of our mind? Well, this is a place that we could really settle for quite a while. What, what does it mean to love the Lord with all of our mind? Well, it at least means these two things. First of all, it would mean at least casting any sinful or selfish or doubting thoughts from our minds, out of our minds through prayer, Scripture, and the power of the Spirit of God. Getting rid of those thoughts that distract us from God, that, that deter us, that hinder us, that, that blind us from the glory of God. Casting those thoughts out of our mind. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. So that tells me that either our thoughts are taking us captive... By keeping us from seeing the glory of God and and dwelling on the glory of God and enjoying the glory of God. Our thoughts are either taking us captive by directing us to lesser things. Sometimes very ungodly things. Or we are taking our thoughts captive and training them and and restraining them and and directing them to the things of God. So first, it would be casting those, those wrong thoughts out of our minds. Second, it's not only what we empty our minds of, but what we fill our minds with. How, how do we love the Lord with, with all of our mind? It's just not training our minds through Scripture and restraining our thoughts through prayer. It, it's also filling our minds with the things of God. Colossians chapter 3 verse 2 says, Set your minds on things above. And how rich and rewarding is that, right? We just spent this past week doing that. Setting our minds on things above. Our our theme for the conference was heaven. We we were setting our minds on things above. I I, I didn't hear anyone say who was able to be here or, or who watched online. When we studied heaven together Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I didn't hear anyone say, boy, that was a waste of time. 
But everyone was, was, was thrilled to be able to do what? What we're created to do. Set your mind on things above. Meditate on those things. Philippians 4, 8 says this, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. There are tons of things to fill our minds with rather than the things that we fill our minds with. Things that are true and honorable and just and lovely. Things of God. How do we love the Lord with all of our mind? We take the garbage out. The garbage of self and sin and distractions. And we point our minds to the Lord and to the things of God and to the things that please the Lord. So loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with with all your mind, it comes down to loving God with our deepest affections, with with every ounce of our desires and and intentions and, and will, with every fiber of our thoughts. Loving Him supremely with everything we've got. Loving God supremely with everything we've got, heart, soul, mind. You see, my friends, this is why I say that saving faith, saving faith involves more than just believing that everything the Bible says about Jesus is true. Let me say that again. I want you to catch it. Saving faith, that is the faith that takes you to heaven, Saving faith involves more than just believing that everything that the Bible says about Jesus is true. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, first of all, the the Bible says in the book of James that the devils believe that. The devils believe that the things about Jesus, the things about God are true. So saving faith is more than just believing all the Bible says about Jesus. Saving faith is also loving Jesus for it. You believe that Jesus left eternal glory to come and, and, and robe himself in sinful fallen flesh for our behalf and you love him for that. You believe that Jesus lived a full life and in, 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 in to the pleasure of the will of the Father and, and earned a righteousness that is bestowed upon us when we come to him in faith and you love him for that. You believe that Jesus died upon the cross and when he did, he took your sins upon himself and became the final substitutionary sacrifice for your sin and my sin and paid an eternal debt for me that I might be reconciled to the Father and we love him for that. We believe that Jesus on the third day rose from the dead on our behalf, signifying to us that he is the resurrection and the life, and life is in him, and we love him for that. 
We believe that Jesus is in the heavens at the right hand of the Father now and is preparing a place for us. And we love him for that. We believe that Jesus promised he's going to return. He's going to gather us to himself and take us to be with him forever. And we love him for that. We love him for everything we believe about him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. You love him. So Jesus was asked, what's the great commandment in the law? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Then he said, there's a second one, and it's like it. There's a second one like it. After loving the Lord with with all of our being, the second commandment, after the first commandment, is is that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. In other words, the second is like the first. They both have to do with love, and it's a love not, not about loving yourself, but loving God and loving others. Jesus is quoting, when he quotes this second commandment, he's quoting Leviticus 19.18, again from the law, as the question was asked. And in that, in that context, Leviticus 19.18, that law has to do with how Israelites are to treat fellow Israelites. But now in the New Testament era, when the gospel is going out to the ends of the earth, who is our neighbor? Jesus, remember Jesus answers that question in Luke 10 with a parable about the great Samaritan. And basically the answer is everyone. Everyone is our neighbor. And even Jesus would say in Matthew 5 that we are to even love our enemies. Everyone is our neighbor. And so he says a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Think about that commandment. That commandment, it's kind of like the golden rule in Matthew 7, isn't it? If you remember the golden rule in Matthew 7, we call it the golden rule. Jesus says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them. How you want to be treated, treat others. But this is, now this is kind of like that, but it's more than that, isn't it? It's more than what we call the golden rule. Not only are we to treat others as we desire to be treated, but we are to love others as we love ourselves. I I look at it this this way. It it seems really that the, the golden rule is kind of like an application of this second greatest commandment. How, how are we to love others as we love ourselves? Well, one way is to do to them as you wish done to you. It's kind of an application of this second commandment. As we'll see next week, Lord willing, really, that's the point. All of the other commandments are basically applications of these first great commandments. I was thinking about this commandment this week and I thought about, sadly, this verse has been often twisted. This teaching from Jesus, this second commandment, 
And I've heard it this way, misused this way, I would say. I've heard some say that, you know, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. So the first thing you need to do is learn to love yourself before you can love your neighbor. Sounds good. Totally misses the point of the passage. That's exactly the opposite of what Jesus just said. Jesus just said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying that the Bible assumes God is revealing we already love ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. As sinners, we are already incredibly selfish. We are already drawn to ourselves. We, we already think too highly of ourselves, too often of ourselves, too much of ourselves. We, we already believe that we deserve more than we deserve. We, we, we are all walk around with a sense of entitlement. There, there should be things done for us and, and, done, and done to us and, and done on our behalf. And we should be getting things and having things. And The problem of... A low self-esteem, which is what I guess is trying to be addressed by taking that verse out of context and making it say something that it's actually not saying. But you don't address low self-esteem by trying to learn steps and processes on, on how to think more highly of yourself. As we read through Scripture, that's what Scripture is addressing all the time, that we're thinking too highly of ourselves. If anyone would come after me, let him think high, more highly of himself. No, deny himself. Often the problem of a low self-esteem is that we've actually placed ourselves in the center of our lives instead of God. A low self-esteem is often a, a way to hide a very high self-esteem that everything around me is really about me, but it's actually not about me, so I have a very low self-esteem. So, of course, we're going to feel low and, and depressed and discouraged if we've replaced God with ourselves because the world isn't directed to us as we would have it. To be. When our world revolves around self, that's often a downward spiral. But when our world revolves around God, He lifts us up. The Bible says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Sometimes a low self-esteem is because we've, we're, we're actually idolizing ourselves rather than putting God first and foremost in our affections and first and foremost in our lives. But sometimes we have a low self-esteem because we've been mistreated by others. We've been abused emotionally, verbally, physically, mistreated, made fun of, betrayed. We've been mistreated by others and, and, and we feel that our lives are worthless because we've been treated like we're worthless. So we feel that we're worthless. But our worth is never found in focusing on self-worth. 
That's the only message the world can give. And it's a very shallow message that really doesn't, kind of puts a band-aid on the issue and really never gets to the heart of the problem. The world says, be you. Don't, don't listen to anybody. Don't listen to any negativity. Get rid of all of the negativity in your life. Get rid of all the haters. And just be you. Be proud and be you. The Bible says, be Christ-like. Don't, don't be you. We're sinners. Be Christ-like. The world says, live your truth. Find out what your truth is. Find out what's true for you. And live your truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Our worth is found in that we are created by God in his image for his glory. We are his. He loves us and values us and has purpose and meaning for us regardless of what others think about us or how others have treated us. We are God's, and in Christ we are his children. So the point of the passage is not all of that stuff that we get sidetracked with. We actually, when we, when we take that interpretation for this verse, we turn the verse all about ourselves, And the verse is actually all about loving others. It's all about getting the focus off self. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the point of the passage is, is that it's kind of, it kind of comes with the territory that we love our, ourselves. That's why we always want what's best for us. Jesus is saying, love others that way. What's best for them? What, what is best for them? If we are to love others like we love ourselves and what we want for ourselves is what's best for me. So if we're loving others, what, what is best for them? To know God, to love God, to worship God, to love him with all of their heart and soul and mind. The two, act, the two go together hand in glove, don't they? If the greatest thing that you can do is love God with all your being, then that's the greatest thing that your neighbor can do. And if we really want what's best for us, that is to love God, then let's want that for our neighbor too. And who is our neighbor? Everyone. We use the imagery of the well of our hearts to depict loving God with all of our being. We could use the imagery of a chart here to illustrate loving neighbor as self. First commandment takes first place. Number one on the chart is God. So if we chart it out, what's the greatest, what is to be the greatest love of, loves of our lives? Number one, God. Number two, then, the second commandment takes second place. Love your neighbor. That Love everyone else. Love God. Love everyone else. And then third, at the bottom, 
is self. The only way to truly love ourselves is to first love God and then love others. That's the secret. Listen to me, church. I know what the world teaches you. But that's the secret to healthy self-esteem. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Put God first and everybody else second. And our lives will be full and rich and satisfied. For, as the Bible says, it is so much better to give. It is so much more fulfilling to give. It is so much more satisfying and enriching to give than it is to receive. So an application for us in this second commandment, for us to pause and consider the loves of our hearts... If we are leading our children to sin, if we are leading them away from God, if we are helping foster things in their lives that distract them from the Lord, if we are causing our friend or our spouse or our fiancé to sin, if, if we are pulling them away from communion and fellowship and growing in the grace of Christ, we aren't loving them. We're actually loving self. We're actually loving self more than we love God and more than we love them. We've actually flipped the chart upside down on its head. We've got ourself first and then others, and God's at the bottom. Because if God was at the top in our affections, we would love others in a way that's best for them remember what Paul said when he was instructing husbands in Ephesians 5 he was instructing us as husbands how to love our wives like this how to love our wives as our neighbor as ourselves in in this such a way and what Paul says in Ephesians 5 to husbands is this love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her That she would be blameless. In other words, Paul is saying, love her in such a way that you will give anything for her to grow in the Lord. That's how you love others as yourself. The Pharisees couldn't have asked Jesus a better question, could they? Now they set out to trap him. But they couldn't have asked him a better question. This is exactly what they needed to know. This is exactly what they needed to hear. They were so busy keeping a tally and keeping a record of how good they were at keeping the law. They they were so busy at keeping a personal chart of of how good they were at keeping all the commandments and regulations and rules and, and how they were going to prove themselves before the Lord that they entirely missed the entire point of the law. The entire law and prophets. In other words, Jesus is saying the Old Testament. This is what it's about. God is saying, this is how you love me and this is how you love others. And they missed it. But it was the right question. 
And it just might be that today, this is exactly what we needed to hear today. This is exactly what we needed to know today. Do we love God with all of our being? I know we know about him. Do we love him? Because if we love God with all of our being, it transforms and translates. It determines and defines and directs all other loves. So that leads us to the next question. Do we love others in such a way? Are we loving others in such a way that it's actually pointing them and commending them to Christ? Wooing them to Christ? Compelling them to Christ? To love God too. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord and love others. Let's pray. Father, help us now with the truth of your word and the illuminating ministry of your Holy Spirit to really shine the light on our hearts. Have we misplaced some affections? Have we put some people and some things in some categories and places in our hearts that they really shouldn't be? Have we put ourselves in a place that we really shouldn't be? Is it a time for us this morning to reorganize our hearts, to reorient our hearts, to make some confessions, to, to have some repentance, and to place you once again in the deepest affections of our heart and to see how loving others fulfills the all of the law to see how father you created us to love you and to love others to give to serve and sin distorts that Instead of pointing all of that love toward you and towards others, sin, sin wraps that around and points it back at ourselves and, and it becomes actually a dead end. It, it goes nowhere. It just sits there and festers and becomes a cesspool of our own heart and own emotions and it's just a downward spiral and we get miserable and the world's answer is, well, everybody around you doesn't think like they should be thinking about you, but... Lord, your word reveals you've shown us the way to bring our hearts to you and all that you have done for us in Christ and to be radically transformed by the gospel where we understand this world and this life and this heart is not about me, it's about you. It's all about you. Would you make us those kinds of people that it's all about you, it's all about others? For the glory of your name we ask and pray. Amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.